we find worship, we find who God is. <clears throat> and so the second, or the next point here was, was this was to contrast or understand our mission field, what the world around us believes. You know, we talked about this weeks ago, you know, Paul going into Athens, I'll mention that two or three times today probably. He went into a place, you have to think of Lawrence, Kansas as Athens, folks. This is a secular pagan city. It has all sorts of ideas floating around. And it doesn't mean we immerse ourselves in it, but we recognize it. This is what Paul did when he went into Athens. He was actually grieved over what he saw. He saw their art. He saw their statues. He saw their altars. He knew their poets. I mean, somehow he read their poets. He knew their stuff. And he was grieved by it. <clears throat> but it, it turned into a bridge that he was able to get to the people and bring the gospel. We want to be able to do that. So our goal here in this class of evangelism is evangelism, proclaiming a message to people, which means we're the carriers of that message. And then I talked about worldview. <clears throat> we talked about this idea that it's a mental model of reality, a framework of ideas and attitudes about the world. It's a lens by which we view the world. It's a fundamental commitment of my heart, my whole being. Not just, just what I think, but my heart, my actions, the way I live, the way I see the world, the way I worship. And then, very important, we may hold it consciously or unconsciously. It may be consistent or inconsistent. The reality of this, that what we're talking about, and why it takes some of us a lot of work, most of us a lot of work, is because we hold things consciously and unconsciously. The point is, we don't often think about this stuff. We just kind of float through life. It's what most people do. We're most people. <laughs> so you have to work your brain. You have to think. So most do not arrive at this through philosophical discourse, but we absorb it or we breathe the air as various influences shape our thinking. We have ideas in our minds sitting here today that we've honestly, consciously not thought about. We just kind of carry it. And it kind of gets parroted, you know, over and over and over and over. But sometimes you have to stop and say, think, well, why are we thinking that? Why are we thinking, for example, that this sort of stuff we're dealing with is big-time intellectual? And I'm going to touch on that a little bit. You know, there was a time, I, I've mentioned it to you before, 124 of the original 130 universities started in Christian theology. This stuff I'm talking about wouldn't have been very difficult for Christians 100, 150, 200 years ago, believe it or not. It's hard for us. Why is it hard for us? Well, because we drank the Kool-Aid. <laughs> we breathe stuff that we don't even know we breathed. You see? You know, the, early in this country, to, to be a politician, to run for office, be, go to D.C., you had to pass a theology test. You know, it was Reformed Calvinistic theology. If you can't pass that test, you can't leave this country. People thought this way. It was part of everyday thinking, but it takes us work because we've been immersed in a culture. So we have to have a transformation of our minds. This is the mind of Christ. I have to learn to think. I have to work at this. It's not just my moral will. This is a whole issue in the Reformation. It's not just my will that's screwed up. It's my thinking that's screwed up. Okay? And I need the transformation. I need to see... And we, again, we could go into lots of verses about taking every thought captive, being transformed by the renewing of your mind. <clears throat> and then as we recognize the depth of truth that God gives us, <clears throat> it leads us to see reality. We actually gain security in what we believe. We stand and we watch the world and go, well, they're just wrong. It's what I told you about my 18-year-old little creative daughter. She could stand and take every philosophy class at JUCO. And guys, you'd have to meet her. It's not because she's this big bookworm girl. It's just because she was steeped in her own journey in the Lord, in the Word of God, in the old classics, and the old dead guys. And so when I encouraged her to take philosophy, she could see the contrast. It was very clear to her. She aced everything. 
And she was like, it was, it was a thrilling, she would tell you, it, it, it was like worship. It was a thrilling experience in her Christian life to take those classes. She thought, every Christian needs to take this. No, I don't, you know, we can talk about that. <laughs> but the fact is, she gained security in her faith because she could see the arguments being made going, up. Oh, that doesn't work. That doesn't work. Oh, that sounds really articulate. That guy has 23 PhDs, but it's wrong. See how that, and it led her to worship. And finally then, we need this in our midst, and this is where I have to be careful this morning because I don't want to get preaching, but it leads us to repentance because there's many thoughts that we have in this room that actually come not from a Christian worldview. And I don't mean just the moral, immoral stuff. I mean the way we think. It's real. It's true because we absorb it from the world around us. I bet every one of us in this world grew up, in the, for the most part, if I look around, grew up in this culture. And this culture has been deeply secularized for a long time. And so we come to faith in Christ and we come from a secular world. And we breathe the air of a secular world. And we don't realize sometimes that we've carried things into our minds and the way we think about things is floating around in here and it hasn't been challenged. It needs to be challenged. So part of this worldview issue is, is um, gaining these convictions and repenting, seeing where we were off. Okay? And so we need to know the Christian worldview. Then with the mind of Christ, we can contrast the prevailing worldviews. We see it. We see the contrast. Uh, this helps us understand what others believe and why they think the things they do. It does actually help give you compassion for people, folks. You go, they are absolutely lost. They are absolutely mixed up. And think about it. We have young men and young women that literally are going to cut their bodies up, you guys. Think about it. They're going to destroy their bodies because of an idea. It's actually happening. We should have compassion about that. That should absolutely grieve us. I'm emotional now thinking about it. It's just terrible. It helps us recognize the ideologies around us and how they seek to influence the church, and it gives us a bridge to the gospel. This is Paul in Athens. Okay? This is 1 John, Gnosticism coming into the church. And John had to say, wait a minute, time out. That's not actually Christianity. Okay? We, we need to be aware of this. Okay, so in our quick review, remember I talked about the ground. I talked about this idea of knowledge being this imminent knowledge. I'm not going to go through all this, but just I want to remind you real quick. So it's the idea of knowledge of the everyday stuff. Like it's the stuff we study, you know, like biology and geology and mathematics and music, the everyday stuff. I hope you guys are getting some of this, okay? Empirical senses. And then there's all sorts of terms in the philosophical room. We, uh, world, lower story, particulars, nature, diversity. <coughs> it's the everyday stuff. In our contemporary world, these are the ideas, go to the university, these are reason. They would see this as the facts, right? Public knowledge, objective, it's neutral, it's knowable. Does that make sense? It's a whole realm of knowledge. Okay, then we said there's an, actually another whole realm of knowledge. It's what we call the transcendent. It's the metaphysical, it's the things you can't see. But yet it's real. These things are real. And philosophically, they would call these universals, upper story, grace, unity. We don't need to camp on that today. Existential. These, we, we tend to experience these things. Okay? Justice, love, beauty, God, the nature of man. Right? Musicians. Some of you guys are musicians. You guys would be very in tune to these feelings, sensitive, experienced things, and they're real. So how do you explain them? How do you make sense of them? Well, God gives us knowledge about that, too. The problem is, is that you're living in a, in a world that says, no, these things are just your faith, meaning it's not real knowledge. It's not 
true. It's not objective. It's just your faith. It's your values, right? You, you guys are value voters. You don't vote with your brains. You don't vote thinking with reason. You vote with your feelings. It's just subjective. That's the idea. It's private. <clears throat> don't bring this into our university. Don't bring this into our public square. It's not real knowledge. Okay? So you have these two realms. And as I shared with you, the goal of the philosophers for thousands of years was trying to bring these things together. And making it simple, they, they do come together in one place, in Christian theology. It's the Christian that understands both of them. And they come together in one place, as I demonstrated to you. Jesus was fully God, fully man. Scriptures are fully written by men, but carried along by the Holy Spirit. I'm a fully physical guy who's finite, got all sorts of good things and bad things, and at the same time, I'm an eternal soul. And I can explain it. You can explain it. We can actually talk intelligently about it because God has revealed it to us. He's given us this knowledge. This is what the world's at, been after forever. We have it. You guys understand sitting here? This is thrill your souls. God's given it. You may not fully understand it yet, but he's given it to us. Okay? Now, in your culture, you're living in a, in a world where this is a divided field of knowledge. You have the sacred torn from the secular. You could say it that way. You have the imminent physical things that are put over there, and then you have the blue circle that's put over there. And there's this idea that they can never be brought together. Even though philosophers forever tried to, they gave up doing this. You're, you're living in a culture that gave up can't be done, okay? The problem with this then is, <clears throat> we'll get to this, but the modern naturalist world said from that green circle we can explain everything. They can't explain everything, but they said they could. Postmodernism then jumps over into the blue circle and says, well, we can't really explain everything, but we can feel things, so we're gonna make life about feelings. Okay, now here's where the problem comes in, this divided field. This is not God's view of the world, right? But what many Christians do is they bought into this in a different way. They jump over in the blue circle and say, well, I just want my spiritual experience. I, I, I just want to experience Jesus. I have my dogmas, my doctrines, some do's and don'ts over here, but I don't want to think about the green stuff. I don't want to think about philosophy. I don't want to think about arts. I don't want to think about bio biology. That's intellectual. We don't want to be intellectual. When people say that, and some of you have said that, this is where I'm trying not to preach too hard at you, I'm trying to be gentle, you have bought into the divided field without even knowing it. That's not Christianity. Christianity is not just a blue experience over here by myself. It's not just in this room. God created the entire world. and All knowledge belongs to God. All of it comes under the authority and lordship of Jesus Christ. Accounting, biology, Philosophy, English, music, theology, the resurrection, what you should do in life, what you shouldn't do in life, it all comes under the authority of God. It's all actually inerrant and infallible. It may rock you. We say the Bible is inerrant and infallible. Natural knowledge is inerrant and infallible too. The problem isn't that God gave it. The problem is our interpretation of it. We can misinterpret the Bible. We misinterpret, natural man misinterprets the natural world all the time. Because he has a depraved mind. Can you, does that lend itself? This is why it's so extraordinary to be a Christian. <clears throat> because not only does God rescue me, and do I get to spend eternity with him, and I get to know him, but he begins to change my mind. The Holy Spirit comes in and begins to fundamentally change the way I see the world and give me different presuppositions, and I interpret the world differently. 
I see the same facts everybody else sees. I interpret them differently. See how that works? This is what we've been given. So this divide, I brought up a quote last week, this development illustrates what it means to secularize a community. This was written in the 60s in in the UK, before it kind of came to the United States in the 70s and 80s. How do they do this? Not by officially denying religion, but by so departmentalizing it, it is deprived of any over-influence. You stay over there in your blue circle. Christianity is emasculated of its intellectual relevance. It remains a vehicle of spirituality and moral guidance at the individual level, perhaps, right? But at the communal level, it's a little more than an expression of sentimentalized togetherness. You guys can have that. Go do that. But don't let it influence here. Don't talk about politics. Don't talk about biology. Don't bring your stuff over here. Do you see that? Okay. Now, this is the issue that I want to bring up because this was a loose end. A fish doesn't know it's wet. How many have ever heard that statement? <laughs> Maybe you never thought about it. <clears throat> but a fish doesn't know what it means to be wet. Think about it a minute. See, I, had this, I, didn't bring, I didn't have this just as an illustration. I really did want water this morning. So I pour this on my arm, and it feels wet. How do I know? Well, because I know what dryness feels like. <laughs> because it's dry, I can feel wet. I said that in some of our classes. How do you know a stick is crooked? Because you compare it to a straight stick. If there's no such thing as straightness, you'd never know something crooked. Okay? A fish doesn't know what it means to be wet because it doesn't know what it means to be dry. So you put a couple fish together and they start talking to each other. <laughs> right? What's water? They don't even know. They swim in it. They exist in it. And so this is really interesting because this is one of those loose ends that I want to kind of pull together. See, everything you're seeing in your news today Everything that's going on seems so crazy. It started with, you know, the change of definition of marriage. We're seeing the transgender thing, men who think they're women, women who think they're men. All of that all actually started in philosophy in the 70, 1960s and 1970s. And then it began to be delivered to the popular culture. And how was it delivered? Through the arts. That's how it always happens. Remember? archaeological dig, you go climb around, they find a cave, they go in there, and guess what's on the wall of the caves? Drawings, paintings. It's what mankind does. He expresses what he's thinking in arts. It starts in philosophy, moves to arts, and then it gets disseminated to the popular culture. You're seeing all sorts of stuff in, your, in, your, in, in the news today, stuff that seems disturbing. But you guys, we were already being indoctrinated this in the 80s and 90s, and it was coming through our arts. It was coming through films. So I brought up a couple of films a few weeks ago. And one of the things I, I, I felt terrible because I thought maybe this was, a, it may, I heard it might have been a distraction for some. I mentioned the movie Titanic, right? And from my understanding, and I say it that way because I've never seen the movie, but it had some very illicit immoral stuff in there. And some people, you know, felt that as a distraction and a sensitivity. And I'd say, well, I'm glad you're sensitive to it. Because the scripture says we are to avoid any appearance of evil. First Thessalonians 5. Scripture says... Ephesians 4, they're not to be a hint of sexual immorality in our midst. So I'm actually glad people are sensitive to it. But just so you know, I didn't see the film. I had no interest in seeing the film. I had already heard about all the stuff that was in the film. But I referenced the film, just like Paul referenced things in Athens, not because I approve of it, but I wanted you to see, here's a film that was the most popular viewed film in the history of the world. Made more money than any movie in the history of the world. Okay. Then they edited the movie, took out the illicit stuff, and they pumped it right into the homes 
of every home in this country on the main, major, major stations in cable television. Now people think, oh, I can watch it now. It doesn't have the immoral stuff. Okay. But the fact is, is it was bringing in an indoctrination and ideology, and it was pumping it into our brains. Now, I, you might ask, well, how did I know that? I pay attention to this stuff. It's my life. It's my work. I'm always paying attention to cultural stuff, and I know the arts deliver these kinds of messages. So you know what I do? I go read the reviews. I go read the storyline. I read the storyline. I've never, I've never seen that movie. I read the storyline. It jumped right off the page. I knew exactly what that movie was about. Then the question might come, well, how did you know about the movie? Well, first of all, it's something I do, and maybe you know, I got kind of a, a weird, freakish stuff about paying attention. I don't know. But I do think we're supposed to pay attention. Sons of Iskar paid attention. I shared that verse. Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, uh, Abednego, Nehemiah, Paul. These people paid attention to what was going on around them. And so I go read these reviews. Why does it jump off the page at me? It's the very thing I'm trying to help you guys understand in this class. It's because my mind had been attuned to a biblical worldview. And so when I read it, I'm like, well, I know what that is. Just like my 18-year-old daughter could walk in a philosophy class and go, I know what that is. You see that? And here's the other reason why you know. This is very interesting. I want you to catch this. That, that story was not about a ship. That story was not about relationships. The writers, the thinkers behind arts, whether it's music, movies, painting, have a philosophy they're trying to deliver to you. I hate to use the word, they're trying to evangelize you. So they're not afraid to say in their storyline what the movie is actually about. See, we watch the cinematography and get all wrapped up in that, and we completely miss the point that actually what they're doing is delivering a message. That's what they're doing. And that's why, a few weeks ago, I wanted you to see Titanic, this most famous movie in history. And again, I'm glad you're sensitive. I'm sorry if it was a distraction. I didn't intend for that. I, that went right past me. And then when somebody told me, I was kind of mortified. I was like, no, I wasn't telling people to go watch that thing. Please. Um, but, I, I, but if you remember, I juxtaposed it to a family cutesy Christmas film. Miracle on 34th Street. And this is where the fish and water issue comes in that's so important to me. It's a burden I carry. You're seeing it in my teaching. I've been teaching this stuff for decades. Almost three decades now, okay? And hundreds of people. I've been in churches. I've been in Sunday school classes, conferences, around the world teaching this sort of stuff. And I would walk in a room, and it may not be as current, but let's say you go back 15 or 20 years when you were more current to the 1994 film, Miracle 34th Street. I'd walk in a room with Christians and say, how many have seen the film? Half, two-thirds, three-quarters. A bunch of people saw it. majority of people saw the film. And I'd ask them, how many of you recognized that there was an ideology being delivered in that film that was contrary to God's reality? And it was silent. Very few hands went up. You know why? Fish and water. They'd have been secularized and didn't even know it. They, they couldn't see the contrast. Now, there may be other circumstances. They're not as, you know, being as aware. Again, you know, with my kids, I was always telling them, pay attention, pay attention, pay attention. There's other circumstances, but I can guarantee you that Christians, biblical, conservative, Bible-believing Christians for the last 70, 80 years in this country abandon thinking. And we go into our blue circle and we didn't even pay attention. And so a movie like that could come right in our homes, and we don't even have an idea what it's actually doing. And it was indoctrinating our kids. It's why they're in the streets today, and why we have votes like we have in Kansas, and why you're seeing things happening, and Christians don't have a voice. 
They dominated it. They indoctrinated the whole thing, and they did it through the arts. That's what I want you to catch. That's, that's what you need to understand. And so it takes work on our behalf as Christians to go, ooh, where have I drank the Kool-Aid? Where have I bought into stuff and didn't even know I was buying into it? And it's not just the sexually immoral stuff, though that's true too. Okay? That is true. But it's more than that. It's thinking. So I could say more about that. I hope, I hope that I wanted to make sure today, I, I knew I would run out of time probably and what we need to talk about, but I wanted you, if anything you catch, it's that. Because there's no way in three weeks of talking about worldview we're going to completely reshape this thing. You know, this is discipleship. This is an ongoing thing. The good news in our culture, so you'd be encouraged about this, as many have seen this, because actually, I'm going to touch another little nerve. Christians responded to this secularization in our culture. Even in our educational, what we did is we went over and created Bible colleges. And much of our Bible colleges were putting people in the blue circle and not being in touch with the green circle. Believe it or not, well, if we just go over and do the Bible thing, we won't talk about what's happening over there. Well, when we did that, we bought right into the divided field, which was the enemy's deception. Do you see that? It's a trick. It's like a military trick. It's a bait. And we bought into it. But the good news today is we have an entire movement on maybe some of you are familiar, like the classic Christian movement. You know, I've got a little grandson, eight years old, learning Latin, learning Greek learning the classics, learning arts, learning music, learning constitution, learning politics, classical Christian education, not just a Christian school, but classical Christian education. This is a response to what I'm telling you that we've been drinking for 70 or 80 years. And there's colleges raising up. I know um, Doug Wilson up in uh, Idaho, whatever you think about Doug, but he's got a, a university up there called New St. Andrews College. And you get one degree. Everybody gets the same degree, a liberal arts degree. They study this stuff. There's no bunch of separate degrees. You need to learn how to think about the world the way God created the world. That's what they're teaching people to do. In all of these frames, the green circle and the blue circle, together. See that? Hillsdale College is doing that. So there's a great movement up front that's very exciting. But we need to be aware of that in our room right here. So um, let me try to move on now, if I can. I hope that's helpful. Fundamentally, and I'm going to jump through fast hoops in 20 minutes, okay? Hang on to your seats. I'll try not to talk too fast. I, some of you guys are laughing at me. You know me too well. Okay. But I'm just going to touch on this because we've spent most of my time talking about Christian worldview, which is what we should talk about because that's the measuring stick, right? Once you get that in your head, everything else will start standing out. And so in 20 minutes, I'm just going to highlight some stuff that you'll see, and at least it opens the door for you to begin to think about these things, Okay. Fundamentally, in our culture, there's three worldviews. Actually, two, but there's three. I'm going to touch on them, okay? There's what we could call the pre-modern, Christianity. And again, the great news is Christianity is still here in our land. It's here. It's in this room. You know, young men, J.D., came here years ago saying, I want to glorify God, right, by setting up his church, salt and light, glorifying God, by making and maturing disciples of Jesus Christ in this community. This place is set in here as a beacon to be a salt and light, to be the lighthouse for the society. That's completely lost. Which means we need to think well. We need to be salt and light, right? Pre-modern, Christianity, it's still happening. The second one that was dominant, if you will, this last century, up to about 1970s. And it's still floating around. It's really intriguing how it's floating around. But it, you could call it modernism. By the way, a bunch of names you could throw this stuff, but you could call it scientific naturalism. 
You could call it secular humanism. We'll talk about it in a minute, but that's, that's a worldview. Then from there came a maturing of this. Some people would think of it as something totally different. In a sense, it's a maturing of this. It's still secular, and it was called postmodernism. Okay? Postmodernism, secular cosmic humanism. There's names you can call this. Okay? But those are the three dominant worldviews. Technically, you have Christianity, and everything else is secular. And in that secular, there's kind of two things juggling position. Some people carry both of them a little bit, okay? but it's modernism and postmodernism. So, I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this, but this idea of the secular came after what was known as the Enlightenment. And, and the fundamental thing is this, it's really, to get to it this morning, more technical, but it's really, it's man is the center. It's Genesis 3. We can answer everything from man, we don't need God. That's, that's the fundamental thing. We don't need the transcendent. We can answer the big questions with just the green circle. We have no need for a unified whole. Autonomous man, man sitting there floating by himself, can answer all the questions of life. So think about it simply. Go back to the green circle, right? The imminent. If we were to say, what's a human being? What would a modern man say? Well, he's just a piece of machinery. Well, where does man come from? Well, that's easy. It's just a naturalistic system called evolution. What's going on with the human mind? Well, Freud explained that to us. We got that all figured out. You see, you go right down the line from the green circle. They thought they could explain everything in the world. Didn't work out so well. <laughs> and so they, had, they, could, they thought they could answer all these questions from the green circle. Okay? That's modernism. You notice I highlighted the yellow. The objective, neutral, public, knowable. Now, there was a transition in the 1970s from modernism to postmodernism. Very interesting. And this transition was dominated by the arts, particularly architecture. Can't get into it all, but you might be intrigued because it happened in St. Louis. Under modernism, there was an idea that we can solve the mass of humanity by building a box. And if everybody fits the box, we will solve humanity. So they built boxes in the inner cities called housing projects. They're gonna make all the rooms the same, modern. Everything's a box, everything's mathematical, everything's explainable, no expression, and if you put everybody in those boxes and you provide the right services for people, we won't have crime, we won't have problems, we won't have anything. How well did that work? 1972, they blew up the housing project in St. Louis. Literally demolished it. It was an ideological demolish. It wasn't just the building. They said, this doesn't work. And there are people that study you know, philosophy, think about this, say literally that was the marker of the transition from modernism to postmodernism. Because man can't live as a box. He can't live as just a piece of machinery. We're expressive, we're creative, we feel, we touch, we're romantic, we're, think about it. Mankind was not made to live as a modern box. In fact, in the modern box, man has no freedom. You're just a bunch of chemicals swirling around. Okay? Now, so modernism, naturalism, this is the interesting thing. You're seeing today, somebody just a week or so ago from the church here sent me a clip, and I was, I'm familiar with it, but it was fun to kind of see it again. Because in modernism, naturalism, objective truth was obtainable by human reason. There was a notion that you could get to objective truth. Now, we Christians think you can get to objective truth too. But we think we need revelation to get there. Modern man thinks he just needs his reading. But they, we both agree you can get to objective truth. Okay. Everything could be explained from a natural perspective. I've been sharing that with you. 
There's no need for spiritual. There's no need for God. There's no need for revelation from God. We can answer the whole thing. That's modernism, naturalism. I'm going to run out of time, but here's something I want to say to you. Why this is fascinating. There are, there's an entire group. It's, all, it's Baptists, by the way. Sovereign Nations. It's an organization. They tried to help church understand critical race theory, cultural things that's going on. Some of their speakers at their conferences are literally atheists. One known, Jim, James Lindsay. Very popular. Very popular amongst Christians. Some of you right now are getting nervous, right? We're going into that. Listen, they have James Lindsay coming in because he fully understands postmodernism. And he's explaining to the church what's happening. But some people are asking, maybe some of you gals know, I, in the social media world, I don't do this, but there's this, uh, uh, what's her name? Allie Beth Stuckey. Some of you guys know that name? Raise your hands if you've heard that. Some of you, okay. She interviewed Lindsay. And people are going, wait a minute, you're interviewing an atheist. How can you, as a conservative, fundamental Christian, interview an atheist? Well, here's why. Because the modern world, atheists actually believed in objective truth. Even though they thought you got there from a different place, but they could agree with Christians in objective truth. What's happened in postmodernism is there is no objective truth. You can't get there. Can't even obtain it. So in a strange, weird way, we have things in common with modernism. doesn't make it modern because we believe in revelation. We have a different presupposition. But when it comes to truth, we think we can get there. And so these atheists are noticing this, and they're actually participating with Christians in trying to combat postmodern, progressive, leftist stuff that's going on. It's really intriguing. Another discussion for another day, but it's intriguing. You know, what do you do with that? It could make, you've got to be careful, right? But postmodernism said objective truth is not obtainable. The transcendent, now here's what's interesting. The postmodern does put its foot into the transcendent in a different way. It does step into the blue circle in a different way, but it does step in there. Transcendent is all self-defined. If you feel it, it must be true. Remember I said there's, there's emotion over there, there's unseen things over there, they're, they're really, they say, listen, if I feel it, that's what's true. It's non-rationalistic spirituality. They actually believe in spirituality. They lean towards the Eastern, reincarnation, all sorts of bizarre stuff. It's a cosmic humanism. It's still centered in man. That's what makes it secular. But there's kind of this feeling, touching, spiritual thing. Can't be defined, but it's real. So this generation, who's postmodern, are very spiritual, in a sense. See what I'm saying? But they abandon the rational mind of the Christian. Remember, we have both. We have full-bore, crazy, wonderful experience. At the same time, we can explain it with a perfectly rational mind. Can you see that? Of all people who should be the most creative and excited and joyful and fulfilled in life and understanding the trades and understanding all these things, it should be Christians. Because we have the unified whole. Okay? But the postmodern want to have the experience without the rational. That's what it is. That's what you're seeing. There may be some truth somewhere, but we can't access it. We are bound by our biases, our ethnicity, our gender, our culture. The reason our culture thinks the way it does is because it was dominated by a white man. You're seeing this. Other people have other ways of thinking about this. We need a transgender person in charge of our human resources, human services in our country. Because they have a different lens, a different truth that they bring to the table. Because some of you guys know what I'm meaning. This is actually happening. This is postmodernism. The idea is truth may be up there somewhere, but it's a greasy pole and none of us can get there. <clears throat> none of us can get there. Now, re- <coughs> excuse me. 
<clears throat> the reason I bring in the greasy pose, I love this illustration. I love to identify with the postmodern set. I agree. <clears throat> it's a greasy pole, and none of us can get, to get there. But the fact is, the reality is, is I don't have to because God came down the pole. I have a man in history who claimed to be God, and he came down the pole and gave me the answers. It's not me trying to climb the pole. None of us can. What happens if God came to us and said, here's the answer? See what I just did? And guess what the answer is? Boom, I'm into the gospel. I just talked their language. I just used their illustration and showed them what we believe. We don't believe we arrive at truth on our own. We believe it's given to us. Right? You see how that works? So, postmodernism. It's the transcendent. I highlighted the yellow here. <clears throat> Preferences, private, subjective, bias, relative, no knowledge. They don't, it's their feelings. They think with their feelings. That's postmodernism. I feel it. Okay, physically, I look like a male. I feel like a female, therefore I'm a female. That's what you're seeing. Can you guys see it? It's, it's right in your face. And this all started back even in the 90s with films that said, well, there's really not truth, and, and there's the divided field, and faith is just a, a, a blind leap into something, and you were watching it in a Christmas film in your home. And those same people that were watching that film and being indoctrinated with that and another thing and another thing and another thing and another thing are the ones that are standing in the streets today marching and believing a certain thing. Okay? I'm going to jump through some of this. So this is quick. For if the postmodernists, if one claims to have truth in the correspondence sense, in other words, it corresponds to a real world, this assertion is a power move that victimizes those judged not to have that truth. So when I say, no, 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 this actually fits the real world. Male, a male actually fits the real world. I could, I could show you the blood and the DNA and, ah, uh, you're, you're pulling a power play on me because nothing really corresponds to a real world because actually we live in a subjective transcendent world where we can't really know anything. And guess what the movie was with the turning point of that? Matrix. You all live in a matrix. You think you're a real person eating food, but you're really not eating food. You just think you're eating food. So you create reality in your mind. You create reality with your words and when you come to me, Dan, and you begin to talk to me about this, all you're doing is pulling a power play from your bias because you can't get up the pole any better than anybody else. Can you guys see that? That's, that's what we're dealing with. That's, so the fundamental questions. I've got less than 10 minutes. Let me just go through these quick. I hope you guys can see this. So when we think about the prime reality, these are the, these major worldview questions. You know, the ultimate reality, the really real. We as Christians say what? It's God. It's actually being, a very real being, God. God communicates. We'll get to it in a minute, but God created man in his image. That's what we believe. The modern believed knowing was the big issue because there's nothing in being to experience. It's just all matter. What's the really real? Matter. Chemicals swirling around. Cosmos is all there is or ever was or ever will be. That was Carl Sagan taking that right from the Christian worldview. We say, it's God, right? They say, it's the cosmos, it's the matter, it's the stuff. Postmodernism, we can't know it. Maybe we are caught in a matrix. All I have is my experience to create my reality. You'll hear people say, well, this is my reality. And for me to say, well, that reality doesn't really fit reality, violation. Who are you to say that your reality is any more real than my reality? You see? Is this making some sense to you guys a little bit? I'm just trying to touch on these things, okay? 
What is the nature of reality? For the pre-modern, it was God created. Cause and effect. Correspondence. It means there's certain things if I do, if I reach on here and pick this up, there's an effect, right? There's actual things that correspond to the real world. Like real, like I can put my hands on. And it's an open system. It's open to God. We're not in a closed system. That's one of these things that we subtly think. Guys, we are so open to God. The Spirit of God is in this room, and He is moving, and he is com- we are completely open to Him. He completely shapes our thinking. He can step right in and boop, put a thought in your mind right now. It's not a closed system. It's an open system, okay? Modern is a cosmos of cause and effect. It's objective. It corresponds to the real world, but it's a closed system. We don't need God to do it, right? Postmodernism. Oh no, we create truth using language that serves our purposes. No correspondence, no story is truer than another. That's nice and true for you, but not for me. So when I begin to talk about the gospel, they go, oh, that's true for you. That's your truth, not my truth. You see, that's not what I'm talking about, right? I'm talking about real facts, real history, real stuff. But they think I'm talking about my favorite flavor of ice cream. Or I know you like that kind of music. I don't like that kind of music. That's true for you, it's not true for me. What is a human person? Pre-modern, created in the image of God, right? Personality, self-transcendence, you guys get that. Modern, a complex piece of machinery. Chemicals, no freedom. You're just a resource. Think of what we did in our, all of our uh, employment. Human resources development. We're not resources. I'm not a resource. I'm not a resource for somebody else to use for their purposes. I'm, I'm an individual human being before the God of the universe. Postmodern, a subjective experiential being. No substantial self, I think, with my feelings. It wasn't established. It wasn't correspondent. God didn't put me here as a male or a female. I have to figure that out for myself in my own thinking, in my own experience, in my own subjectivity. Why do people do cruel things? What do we say? Sin, right? This predisposition in our souls, total depravity of man. Modern, Everybody comes in the world as a blank slate. The problem is either brain chemistry or wrong education, wrong parenting, or wrong culture. Just learn wrong. You were a blank slate and you got the wrong information put in there. Postmodern, I don't know what they think about cruel. Basically, everybody's bigots if they don't agree with them. They're intolerant. They want power, intersectionality, minority groups. It's a group against a group. Death, obviously, we believe in an eternal existence. If I were to ask you right now, what's the average age expectancy of a human being? You might say 70, 80, but actually the Christian answer is we're eternal. Now, I understand what we mean by 70, but some people actually think 70 or 80. And it's like, no, 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 I'm an eternal being. I have a destined time here on this earth ordained by God, and he knows I'm not going to leave here five seconds too early, five seconds too late. Boop, when he says so. So I put the pedal to the metal till that day. <laughs> we all should. Okay. Modern, it's extinction, you're dust. Postmodern, some type, now here's the thing. There's a spirituality to this postmodern thing. It's, it's not a rational thing, it's an irrational thing, but you think of reincarnation, or they talk about angels, or they talk about ghosts. I, I come back as something. I actually believe that. Ethics, right and wrong. God's character is our foundation for ethics. The modern, it's pragmatic, it's utilitarian. Oh, the majority of people believe this, it seems like it's pretty good for the people, let's go with that. Postmodern, you're bound within a group. My truth within my group. The white folks have one view. Us black folks have a different view. Your morality is not my morality. It creates nothing but anarchy and destruction. Language is used to create right and wrong. All I want to say this is just, oh, look, I was able to do it. Two minutes, I can't believe I did this. Okay, 
Folks, this is the death of our day. This is Genesis 3. Autonomous, independent man. I want to be free. I want to do my own thing. Okay, do your own thing. I'm going to do my own thing, first of all, by explaining the world without God. Okay, do that. Guess what the next step is? The next step is, I can't know anything at all. It's insanity. It's anarchy. It's completely separate from a real world, and you're lost in yourself doing things that could never be fathomable. It's what we're watching. Some of us are older, particularly. Maybe we're more sensitive to it. We're watching this stuff happen like this ought not be done. But, right, God is sovereign, and he has a divine setup. I love it. He's setting it all up, you guys. This is the the, the thing I want you to leave on when we go to worship this morning. Okay? He's actually there. He's actually invaded our lives. He actually speaks. He's actually changing the way we think. And guess who the lighthouse in the culture is going to be? This thing's going to continue to go to hell in a handbasket. It's going to continue to go to anarchy, and there are people all over the city that, are, that look like they're celebrating in, a, in a, you know, some uh, parade. Their lives are going to be devastated, absolutely destructive, and they're going to look all over the world. There's going to be one place that they can go. It's the lighthouse. We are salt and light. This is a divine setup. And if we as Christians in this room will learn to transform our minds and not just say, oh, that's just for the intellectuals. No, 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 no. We need to learn to think godly. Christianly, we literally will be the salt and light. We will walk in the classroom. We will walk into a, a public setting and go, oh, no, no, I have the answer for that. Amen? Let me pray for us as I close my time. Lord, I thank you. This stuff is so rich, and all I can think is that's why I want to pray. Thank you. Thank you for giving us this. Thank you for clarifying this. Thank you for what you do, have done in us, and of all people on the face of the planet, you've chosen us and called us to be your own, and given us the mind of Christ. And may we honor you, Lord, glorify you by being obedient and disciplining ourselves, truly discipleship, learning to challenge our thinking, to put it in line with what you say. And when we do, we will literally be salt and light in a place like Lawrence, Kansas. I pray for this. I long for this. I know the leaders long for this, Lord. I pray all our people do too. In Jesus' name, amen.